I'd like you to turn to Third John. Let me read this passage for you. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear from my children that they are walking in the truth. Beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they've gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers who also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. The reading of the word, God, brothers and sisters. So, I went to a funeral last week. Uh, we went down and attended Kelly's dad's funeral. Uh, uh, huge thanks to the way the body pulled together and allowed us to make that trip. Uh, it turned out to be an incredible blessing. I've got to be honest with you. I've probably gone to a few too many funerals. Uh, I, I don't... They're gospel opportunities, but, you know, they're also times of grief. And you kind of get to the stage, and, and you've probably thought this yourself when you've attended a funeral. You hear scripture, hopefully. Uh, you hear testimony. Uh, I mean, even, even if you go to somebody's funeral that's not necessarily a person of faith, you hear stories about them. And at some point you start wondering, I wonder what they're going to say about me. You know, what, what will happen? I mean, for me, it's a tremendous context because whether this person is a person of faith or not, I get to ask the question. You know, what will they say about you when people gather over you in this fashion? Well, I, the older I get, I begin saying that more and more to myself. <laughs> what will they say about me? And so... We, 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 we're kind of in this area, and you know, we're 3rd we're John. Um, we've been talking about love all the way. This is installment number 13 of our 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And 1st John was all about false teaching. It was about people who were causing division in the church. Then in 2nd John, while, while repeating that commandment over and over and over again, we were cautioned not to embrace these false teachers and uh, not to allow their teaching to 
become part of our lives. Don't let it in our church. Don't let it in our homes. And now, now we come to 3 John. And where 2 John urged us very strongly to be careful not to extend hospitality uh, to false teachers. That meant something a little different back then. 3 John encouraged us, us to be very hospitable to teachers of the truth. And, and so as they're doing that, they, it, it kind of cautions us uh, to be careful who we imitate. And along the way, uh, gives us an example of who to imitate. And, and even as we ponder these ideas of what might be said at the end of my time, who will I imitate? What will I have looked like to the people standing over me? And so our sermon title today is, Who's Your Example? And John breaks his entire letter, it's short, down into a description of three types of people. And we see an exhorter, an encourager in verses 1 through 8. We see an egotist. This gets fascinating in verses 9 through 11. And then we see a very brief example that is just a short description of somebody, but is incredibly profound, and that's in verses 12 through 15. So let's take a look at this exhorter uh, in verse 1. It starts out with the elder. Now we talked a little bit about this. It, it, it's probably the same author, the same writer that was in Second John. It might be John, might not be John, but he writes with the same type of authority. He's got the authority of an elder, and and you know, and we love the debate on this sort of thing. And you know, if you hang around academics for a while, you'll get deep into well, they use this phrase, so it's probably not this person, and and they use this type of idiom, so it's probably written at this time, and so on and so forth. All those things are. Uh, at least I find them fascinating. I don't know if you do, uh, but they're really not primary to how we view the scriptures because the scriptures are inspired by God, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So we can have debates all day long about who wrote what and what manuscript was used and so on and so forth. But at some point we have to say, but the Bible was given to us by the Holy Spirit and we believe what it says. So while those things can be interesting, they don't change our opinion about the authority of scripture. So we have this issue before us. We don't know who wrote it, but we do know that it satisfies all of the conditions for what we call canonicity, how it became part of the Bible. So, and the recipient is, it says, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Now, I love this. Uh, So if this is John, he, he gets right into this incredible greeting First, he calls his recipient beloved. And I like the NIV here. It says, to my dear friend, Gaius. Uh, it's a sign of affection. Um, it, it's saying that he is, Gaius is loved in the truth. Now, this isn't without context either, because this is taken in the context of 1 John and 2 John. And the truth being spoken of here is the truth that we saw there in the previous two letters. And it it increases, it, 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 it generates a, an immediate bond, uh, a commonality, uh, a recognition that they share in the truth. And the truth that they share in guarantees an eternal home for the readers who believe in Christ. And it's for all believers. And, and it's, it's, it's brief, but it's amazingly profound in its greeting. And the writer doesn't, doesn't stop there. He goes on, he says in verse 2, beloved, 
We use that, see that, see that word again. I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Curious phrasing here. And the prayer is for Gaius to experience good health. Now he's talking about physical well-being here. Even as John acknowledges, the writer acknowledges that Gaius is doing well in his soul. In his, the, the word is suke. Uh, it is in his inner self. In other words, John's prayer is for Gaius to experience physical health just like he's experiencing spiritual health. It's a whole body greeting. It's a whole body blessing. And, and the writer knows that Gaius is doing well in his soul because folks have noticed Gaius' walk in faith. They've seen it. We see it in verse 3. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. Now, given the subject matter and, and the tone of the previous two letters, we can take this to mean that Gaius is living the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's immersed in it. He's being an example of it. He's demonstrating it. And, and not only that, but he has obviously rejected the teaching of the false teachers. See what's happening here? It's being written to Gaius. All three letters are about the false teaching and beware of it. And so now he's writing to somebody that has embraced the teaching of the truth. And at the same time, he's building Gaius up. And he's not done yet. For Verse 4, for I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So the news of Gaius's steadfastness and faithfulness and commitment to the gospel is a comfort and a blessing to our author. And so from that point, as, as I mean, you know, if you're Gaius and you're reading it, you're going, wow, <laughs> I had no idea. You know, and, and you know, at that point, we, we have to be careful about pride. Well, I didn't know everybody knew how faithful I was. <laughs> you know, but we have to be careful how we receive this, but because Gaius is walking in the truth, we assume that he receives it humbly and in a godly fashion. So from there, we move on to the point of the letter, verse 5. Beloved, again, that word, the faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are. Now here's where John, 3 John connects with 2 John. So in 2 John, we heard about the itinerant false teachers. And there was a caution not to extend hospitality to these guys not, not to greet them. Remember, greeting back then meant more than just saying hello. It meant embracing everything they taught and receiving them, not just who they were, but everything that they stood for, saying that you agreed with them. So here in, in 3 John, Deus is commended for extending the right type of hospitality to teachers of the truth. And, and, and again, we see this word beloved. It keeps on coming up. And it, it, all of this is a, a tacit acknowledgement, a clear acknowledgement that Gaius is walking in the love that all three of these letters have been teaching and encouraging believers to walk in. This, this is a lot more than just an attaboy, 
uh, or a sign of affection. Gaius is being told, you got it. You're doing what I've been writing about. You're the guy that's walking everything that I've been talking about out. This is what the church should look like. This is how it's supposed to be for a believer. This is how a believer is supposed to act. And the strangers he's talking about are brothers. They are united in faith. They are part of the family of God. They are members of the new church And they too are itinerant teachers, just like the false teachers, but they are teachers of the true gospel, the ones centered on Christ. And the the letters have made it clear that whatever that false teaching is, you know, we call it docetism, we call it Gnosticism, but whatever it is, at its very base, the core of it is man-centered. It's about you. It's not about Christ. It's about you. So we're being taught through this false teaching to live for ourselves. To establish ourselves. To find our identity. And what the teaching is, is you can't find your own identity until you know who Christ is because he's in you and you're in him. You want your identity? There it is. See, there's a difference between this this God-centric manner of life that we see in Scripture and the self-centered manner of life that the false teaching puts out there. You just need to be careful with it. Gaius is doing it. And Gaius is commended for extending this hospitality to the teachers of the true gospel. And, and that hospitality requires sacrifice. <laughs> it requires treating somebody as more significant than yourselves. It requires some, some sacrifice of your own comfort, your own material goods, and so on and so forth. So what, what's being extended to these strangers is the love that John's been talking about. And it becomes obvious that Gaius has been taking care of these disciples because they reported back to the writer what's been going on. In verse 6, he says, they testified to your love before the church, before the church where, wherever the author is. So other people are hearing about it. And then he encourages Gaius in the second half of verse 6 to finish well, to keep on doing what he's been doing. He says, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. And what he's saying is, well, you're doing a great job. Now, bless these people the way God has blessed you. Send them on their way with a blessing. And whatever you've got to do to make that happen, make that happen. Because this is all about the gospel. It's all about Christ. It's all about the kingdom. It's not about you, Gaius. And Gaius seems to understand that. Why would they bless them? Well, verse 7, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Now, that's kind of interesting. Okay, the, the, they, they travel, they preach, they teach, and they should be supported not by the people they're preaching to. Now, we need to be careful with this because you could hear, oh, let's not support John because he's preaching to us. <laughs> you don't support me, I can't get here on Sunday morning. <laughs> so, but 
look, look at the audience here. Look at what he's saying. This is where we get our philosophy on fundraising from Warrington, for Warrington Bible Fellowship. We don't go out into the town and say to people, would you contribute to our ministry so we can share the gospel with you? <laughs> okay, so what, what the writer is saying is we get our support from the church, from the people who are part of the kingdom, from the people that God has already blessed. And, and so our fundraising efforts here are based on, on you, on the members of the church. If we can't raise the funds for a particular ministry from within ourselves, then we're not going outside the church and asking them for money so that we can conduct our ministry. I don't think that's a good testimony to God. Without you, we can't do this. And so that's the heart of what's here. He's saying, you know, the Gentile, we don't ask the Gentiles for support. And so he then reinforces this point by saying, therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. He reinforces the point here. The church should support the ministry of the gospel and stand in the unity that the church is called to in that calling. And we actually see the phrase that we may be fellow workers. And again, we see this bond that the writer portrays in the body of Christ. Uh, The ones he sent and his readers together, everybody is bonded together as children of God, as members of the kingdom. So this first set of verses is soaked in encouragement and exhortation. And Gaius himself is an exhorter, so he probably understands this. He's encouraging his visitors. He's loving and supporting the people that come into his town and into his church. And the elder kind of reinforces all this over and over again by calling Gaius beloved and exhorting him to continue to show that love at every opportunity he has. It's a model of how the church should function. This is how we should be doing business, lifting each other up, sacrificing for each other, treating each other as more significant than ourselves. Now, that's hard. Isn't it? I mean, in particular, if we have a strong opinion about something, isn't it hard to set that opinion aside and treat somebody else as more significant than ourselves? Isn't it hard to lift each other up, sacrifice for each other? In particular, when you're on opposite sides of an issue? What an example we're being set here. There's our first type of man, first type of person, an exhorter. And it's in direct contrast to our second type. And before we get to that second type, We need to ask ourselves, are we exhorters? Are we doing what we're being called to do here? You know, we're about to have a town hall meeting. What will that look like? We have great town hall meetings. I I mean, we really do. You know, back when we started town hall meetings in 2004, the first three were absolute disasters. But we had never had one. We never had everybody in the room say, what do you guys think of this? <laughs> and so there was somewhere around 30 years of pent-up opinions and people whose voices need to be heard, and that needs to happen. Our voices need to be heard. But they should never be heard in anger. should never be heard in opposition to each other. We should never have our own agendas that we're pursuing. 
I mean, you know, we are a congregational church. Amen? We've landed that idea. Okay? But we are a congregational church under Christ. So we're not a congregational church that has a bunch of different agendas and opinions. We are a congregational church that seeks for the welfare of each other (laughs) and seeks for peace and harmony and finds a way to do business without contention. I have no reason to believe that this town hall meeting is going to be any different than the others because every other town hall meeting we've had has been a, a gesture of unity and peace. And so it's just a gentle reminder that as we go into this one, because we're about to have a series of them, you know, we're going we're gonna to do the elder thing sometime around the 9th, maybe, maybe, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have a date for you this week. Uh, but then we're going to go right into things like the budget. And I want you to, it, now here's where I want you to think about this whole unity and treating each other as more significant than yourselves is when we get to the budget. Because we all have our favorite line item in the budget, don't we? <laughs> And so what does this look like? And how do we work our way through these issues and vote on them as a body? Because the, the, you know, the, the thing that I hate about the national elections, and this is why I don't take a political position, is somehow we think that if your guy lost, you don't have to participate. Right? Not my president. I mean, we hear it all the time. Okay? But once we make these decisions, we move forward together in unity with our hearts knit together as members of the kingdom of God. Okay, I'm getting off my soapbox. Let's take a look at this egotist. Verse 9. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. Now, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to see Diotrephes as one of these guys that is causing the division in the church. And has embraced, uh, he's greeted these false teachers we saw in Second John. And he's helping to cause tension in the church. And it says he likes to put himself first. Uh, there, there's a ton of stuff in here. This is the direct opposite of an exhorter. An, an exhorter puts others first. This man is an egotist. He is self-centered. And he is most likely the product of all of this false teaching that the writer's been talking about. So we've seen this type before. He's always the most important person in the room, whichever room he's in. He sees himself as the center of attention. So he thinks everything's about him. And he could care less about you and about what you think. He's talking over you. He's interrupting. Uh, he, he wants to tell you about himself. And he's not really interested in hearing what's going on in your life or what your opinion is. And his arrogance extends to how he views the elders and uh, the, the, the followers of the elders and the people in authority. He refuses to recognize their position in the church. They don't have any authority over me. And it's a sign not just of arrogance, but of disrespect. And if you understand how the church is structured, it's also a sign of disrespect towards God. Now, this is a bad guy. And he's a disease upon the church. 
And so the elder who's writing this, it says, well, I'll I'll take care of this myself, verse 10. So if I come, I will bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. This man stirring things up, telling evil lies. He's getting people upset, and he favors the false teachers so much. Look what he's doing. He's not content with that, it says. He refuses to welcome the brothers. He denies hospitality to the teachers of the truth, the ones that the elder sends. But that's not enough for him. He's not happy with just saying, we got to keep this out of the church. It says, he, and also he stops those who want to, to extend hospitality to the teachers of the truth and puts them out of the church. Puts them out of the church. He's working hard to make it difficult to make it difficult for others to greet the brothers, going so far as to put them out of the church. Now, what does that mean? It, now, the word for put means to drive them out. There's no sign that this man has any authority. Doesn't seem to be any basis for uh, that he has the authority to excommunicate people or to shun them. And it's most probable that he just makes it hard for him to stay makes it hard for him to participate, in particular for the people who want to support the elders. And you know how this works. We've seen it before. The man's divisive. He's arrogant. He's absolutely convinced that he's right. And he sees anyone who disagrees with him as an enemy. There's no dialogue. He stirs other people up, makes things hard for people that aren't in his inner circle that don't believe everything that he believes. He makes it difficult for people that don't think like he thinks. Hmm. A whole lot of anger and self-righteousness here. There's no exhortation, no encouragement, and certainly, certainly no love. I mean, isn't that what the three letters are about? Love, compassion, mercy. It's clear to those who are teaching the truth that something's wrong. Not just with this guy, but with the people who rally around him. So we see a warning because of this. And and so the, the elder says, look, when I get there, I'll take care of it. Meanwhile, verse 11, beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. So it's judge this man by his fruit. What is he producing? Is the gospel his goal or is is it his self-interest? Is he exuding love or is he exuding hate? Is he promoting unity or division? Is he a man of peace or a man of strife? Because we know from what we read in Scripture that self-interest, hate, division, and strife are not from God. But when we hear the gospel, when we see love, when we see unity, when we see peace, uh, those are the fruits that will flow from someone who has seen God. Now, it's not just from somebody who has looked and said, gee, I think that looks like God. It's from somebody who has seen and experienced and embraced and become one with God. Someone who's being transformed. Someone who's being sanctified. Bad fruits flow from people who don't know God. 
And these egotists say they do, but they live in an ungodly way. And the writer wants us to imitate these godly people so we know what that looks like. He gives us an example, and it turns us to our third type of person. And that's in verse 12. Demetrius. Demetrius. I love this. Has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. Now, listen. We don't know who Demetrius is. Oh, the name pops up. But there's, there's no scriptural evidence that he's, this guy, this particular guy, has ever been mentioned before. And, you know, if you go over to the Mideast, in particular Greece and Macedonia, Demetrius is kind of like... John. You know, oh, which John are you talking about? Well, you know, so we, we don't know this. And I like it this way. I love it. He's a nondescript man. He's not a pillar of the faith. He's not Moses. He's not Elijah. He's not Luke. He's not even a Barnabas or a Timothy. He's just Demetrius. The only thing we know about him It is that he's well thought of. And we also know why he's well thought of. He's a mirror. He's a reflection of the truth. People speak well of him. Believers speak well of him. His personal testimony is one of biblical truth, one that proclaims the gospel. And our elder, our writer, has personal knowledge of Demetrius, Because he says, we also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is good. The elder's supporting him. He's saying, yes, we testify to this. And after warning his readers not to be like the egotist, Arthur puts up this, this example, and the message is clear. Be like this guy. His faith is visible. People can see the change in him. He's imitating Christ, the way we're called to imitate Christ. Imitate him, not the guy that's causing all the trouble. Demetrius' faith and his walk are so evident that we're reading about him 2,000 years later. We don't know anything other about him other than his name and the fact that he's a man of faith. We don't know anything about his personal accomplishments. We don't know anything about his wealth. Or maybe poverty, maybe he was poor, we don't know. We do know that he's of the same political party as us, though. Right? No, we we don't know anything about that. We don't even know his ethnicity. We don't know his heritage. But we know about his faith. We know about his belief in biblical truth. Then the writer ends with verse 13, 14, and 15. I had much to write to you, but I'd rather not write with pen and ink. Saying, you know, this guy obviously loved to write letters. They're great, right? He said, really, I got a lot more I want to share with you. It's a gesture of love. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. You know how easy it is to write a letter to somebody? And how hard it is to sit across the table and look him in the eye. The writer says, I'm looking forward to this. 
Why is he looking forward to it? Because they're believers, they're fellow believers. They're part of the kingdom of God. They're part of the family of God. They're part of the church. And even though we may have some differences, I'm looking forward to that time where we can share bread together. Express the unity that we're called to. It's beautiful. He says, peace be to you. The friends greet you, greet the friends each by name. He knows their names. So there's our three types of men. We got Gaius. Serves other people. Not just with his hospitality, but with the love that he shares and the gospel that he preaches. And he loves it. Something we do, you know, this is something we do well here. So lest you think that I'm talking about you when I talk about the egotist. We share love and the gospel. And, you know, Kelly and I have been the recipients of that just this week. But the beautiful thing about you, about our congregation here, and I, I brag on you out in the community because when we need to come together, we come together. When we need to serve, we serve each other. We love each other. We extend ourselves. We treat each other as more significant than ourselves. And that's what makes the body of Christ so beautiful. We're not the only church that does that. We're not the only good church in town. There are several others. But what I love about you guys is you're so tight together. Our, our hearts have been knit together through the experiences we've been through. You're Gaius. And I love that about you, and I commend you, and I bless you for it. But it begs the question, do people remember us for what we do? Or do we remember us for our faith? We saw the egotist. We see the contrast with the ones who are self-centered, who stand in judgment of others, who feel superior to others. It's the exact opposite of what an exhorter does, directly opposed to what we're called to do, contrary to what we're called to exhibit to the world around us. And this is the attitude that puts oneself before God. Now, I've been, I've been preaching that to you for a long time. Where does that come from? Where does the idea that God should be our highest priority come from? Well, we heard it right at the beginning of the service, if you're paying attention to the, the scripture reading. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Here's the image of the invisible God. He's talking about Jesus Christ. The firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth. Let that permeate your theology for a while. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. (laughs) If that's not enough of a challenge, it says, and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the molecules and the atoms. He's not just the molecules and the atoms. He's what hold the molecules and the atoms together. And he is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Oh, no, I think they meant some things. 
It says all things, whether on heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. So pride and arrogance and self-centeredness deny this truth. And as such, they deny God. And what we found out in the last letter was it calls God a liar. Then we saw this beautiful example. And, you know, we should be careful who we use as examples. Biblical model is for believers to imitate Christ. For worldly models, we're encouraged to imitate influencers. The question is, who are we going to imitate? Paul suggests that we should be imitators of him, Paul. Not because he's such a great guy, but because he imitates Christ. That's in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. For all we know about Demetrius, our example in 3 John, his tombstone might, well, say nothing more other than he believed in Christ. What will your tombstone say? What will they say when they gather over you? Because the lasting testimony, the testimony that will impact people's lives, testimony that will reach into other people's hearts and call them to the same change that we've been through will be that we believe Christ. It's the ultimate act of love, isn't it? God sacrificing his son because he loved us so much that he reveals that to us and calls us into union with him. Greater love hath no man than he might die for his friends. And the benefit of dying for the friends is eternal life. My, what an act of love. Do you see why the emphasis on these letters is on love? That's where our eternity lies. It's at the core, the essence, the character and nature of God is love. He's all those other things too. We get to be the beneficiaries of his love even as we're delivered from his wrath. And we get that forever. You know, I can't imagine what forever is like. My mind... I, I, I want to I have a dot somewhere out there. <laughs> and the Spirit says there's no dot. That once we're called into glory because of the love of God, because of the sacrifice he made, because we are called to be reflectors of that sacrifice and vessels of that love, because of that, we will be with him forever. My, my. What a beautiful love. What a great salvation. And we get to be the ambassadors of that. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your love. And Lord, we come before you this morning confessing we're not always the best at reflecting that, but Lord, our hearts want to go there. So we pray that by the presence and power of your spirit, you would take us there, Father, that you would love us and through us, Lord, uh, that we might be... uh, those billboards for your mercy and grace and love that the world so desperately is in need of. Have your way with us, Father, that we might honor you even as we honor each other. 
So, Father, we pray now that you would bless the fellowship we're about to share, the many hands that have worked in preparing the meal that's waiting for us downstairs. Let us be a blessing to those who have worked, labored for us out of love, Father, and to each other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor John back here again. If you are blessed by the service, let me ask you to do us a favor. Would you click on the like button below that little thumbs up? If you're listening on Sermon Audio, perhaps you can comment or even share the sermon with someone else. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter at WBFVA. We're on the World Wide Web at WBFVA.org. Let us know if you'd like us to pray for you. If you'd like to support us financially, you can make donations through our website at wbfva.org. Just click on giving. You'll receive a tax-deductible receipt at the end of the year. Either way, we would love to hear from you or even have you visit us in person one Sunday. We meet at 46 Winchester Street in downtown Warrington, Virginia at 11 o'clock every Sunday morning. And now, may God bless you richly until we gather again.